Yes, there is something wrong with my voice, but this is the best it's been in three days. So it's an answer to prayer that I have any at all. Um, somebody said to me once, you know, I went to Mass on Saturday night and then I came here to church and it was the same scripture text. Isn't that funny that it was the same story? There's a reason for that. There's a group of scriptures uh, prescribed for each day in the church year. There's a three-year rotation of it. And we sometimes preach that lectionary text, that's what that's called, which is what we've been doing this year. We've been preaching through John. The lectionary gives an Old Testament text for the day, a psalm for the day, a gospel reading for the day, it's been John, and some other, usually one of the epistles of Paul or someone else. Today, the lectionary text was supposed to be from John, and I looked at it, and then I checked to see what the others were. And there was one from the book of Acts that was exactly where we went on our trip. I said, thank you, God, that's the one we're using. So we're in Acts 16, beginning with verse 6, rather than in the Gospel of John. Hear the word of God. They, Paul and his companions, went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they had come opposite Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision. There stood a man of Macedonia pleading with him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, we immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia, being convinced that God had called us, to proclaim the good news to them. We set sail from Troas and took a straight course to Samothrace, the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Thyatira and a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. For Paul, things are not going as planned. 
So far, his strategy has been to preach about Jesus in the synagogues throughout Asia Minor, what we call modern-day Turkey. And God has used this strategy. Through this strategy, God has brought many to know Christ. Many people have believed and been baptized. Churches have been founded. The strategy has worked. If it ain't broke, however, the Holy Spirit seems to have decided that Paul's strategy, if not broken, was at least not what was called for in the next chapter of his journey. We don't know how the Spirit stopped him. Surely it wasn't just persecution, because that never stopped Paul. I started thinking this week that maybe he lost his voice. Maybe that was it. Was it a specific word of prophecy that he received? Or was it perhaps a deep inner conviction about what the Holy Spirit wanted him to do. So Paul, forbidden to carry out his plan, found himself stalled out, sitting in Asia Minor. But that's only the first surprise for Paul in this story. Paul was in the northwest corner of Asia Minor, in Troas. It is a major seaport of the Aegean. It is a trade route. So ships would be going back and forth all the time between where he was in Troas and Macedonia, which we call modern-day Greece. The Holy Spirit seems to have waited until Paul was there in Troas to give him a vision of a man of Macedonia over on the other side, calling him to come over and to help him, calling Paul to go where he'd never been before, to cross one of the great frontiers of the ancient world from Asia into Europe. And without hesitation, Paul set sail. He got the very first boat he could, and it took only two days for him to get there and to land in the port of Neapolis in Macedonia. It was just four weeks ago today that 42 of us headed out to go to the very same place. Our very first day, when we were in Greece, started out in the spot where Paul first put his feet on the mainland of Europe, the still active port of Neapolis. It's now called something else, it's called Kavala. We looked down, we saw the port right where Paul had sailed in. And leading up from the port, up the hill, was a winding footpath, a footpath that was the remains of the ancient Roman road, the Via Ignatia, the way, of course, Paul would have climbed that hill to move on to Philippi. We didn't actually step on it right then, although we did later. But we could see the actual spot where Paul undoubtedly walked in order to get to his next place. Not much is left of Philippi itself, but there is a river with beautiful, sparkling, fast-moving water with green trees hanging down low over the river there's a picture of it on the front of your bulletin. In fact, the local people call it Lydia's River. My iPhone actually calls the pictures that I took there as coming from Lydia. So it seems to be known as that as a location these days. Paul wasn't in Philippi very long before he discovered that there was no synagogue there. That's what he always did. He always started by preaching in the synagogue. Apparently, there were not at least 10 faithful Jewish men, which is what you needed to have a synagogue in that city. 
So now what's he going to do? But he listened to the Holy Spirit long enough, and he was in town long enough, to discover that out by that river, there were some people who were worshiping the God of Israel, not the local gods, but the God of Israel. And they met out there on the Sabbath by the river. They'd established a place of prayer outside of the pagan city where the water was clear and bright, water of cleansing, water of purification, which was important to them as they worshiped God. I think God had heard their prayers and that he was sending Paul all that way to answer their prayers. And here, God had another surprise for Paul. Because remember the vision? The vision was a man of Macedonia, but it was a bunch of women when he got there. In fact, the woman that we're told about was named Lydia. Lydia was also a surprise. She wasn't a Macedonian. Macedonian man, uh-uh. She was actually neither. She had, she had moved there from the place that Paul had just been in Asia Minor. God went way out of his way to send Paul to answer her prayers, didn't he? We learned on our trip that Lydia was not her personal name. Lydia referred to the region she came from. They talked about her as the Lydian, like we might talk about someone as the Texan or the Brit instead of saying their name. She owned her own business. She sold purple cloth. Very unusual for her to own her own business and her own home as a woman at the time. The purple cloth that she dealt in was an industry that was very important in the country that she had come from. The Aegean Sea, right there near Philippi, is very rich with the kind of sea snails that produced the dye that she would need to make purple cloth. And so very likely, Lydia had moved to that area for business reasons. She was an immigrant from Asia. At the time, purple cloth was worth a lot of money. It was a very high-end product. It was worth, some say, as much as silver. And the only people who bought it would be the rich and the famous, largely the Romans who were in that community. This was a sign of their wealth and of their importance. So part of what we know about Lydia, just by knowing her profession, is that she probably regularly rubbed elbows with the very rich and the famous people in town, probably with a lot of Romans. She'd been seeking God, and she'd been open to the possibility that this God of Israel might also come seeking her. As she made her way to the river that morning to pray, as she had on so many other days, she had no way of knowing that this would be the day when God would show up for her that this would be the day when he would speak to her as she had been longing for him to do, and that her life would go in a completely different direction after today. Lydia believed, and she was baptized, and she also responded by making herself and her home available for the gospel. She said to Paul and his companions, why didn't you come stay with me? Not something that was generally done by a woman, by in, in fact, it sort of meant something else, usually, if a woman invited you to do that. But Paul could see that this was a sincere offer, and not only did he and his companions stay there with her, 
But afterwards, it, her home became a center for Christian activity in the city. For you, this might be the day where you're in the same place, doing the same things that you usually do again and again, but that God may show up for you differently today, that God may speak to you differently and show you afresh new life, new direction, maybe new hope. A few days after we were at the river, we visited Anna Kafalos' home church. Anna and George are members here of our church, and they were with us in Greece. Uh, they are both from Greece. It is a tiny, tiny farming town. I mean, you've never seen a tiny town like this. What? Three streets, uh, very, very tiny. Lots of lots of uh, agriculture looks much like the Central Valley that I, I knew. Um, oranges, um, olives, grapes, the type of thing that we grow, but very poor because farmers there do not have a lot of money. Little tiny church. They welcomed us for lunch like we were family and they served us absolutely the best food we had on the whole trip. They were so hospitable to us. We learned their story. This tiny church was surprised by God three years ago when just 25 miles from the church, thousands and thousands of desperate Syrian refugees showed up trying to get across the border into the rest of Europe. Some of them managed to get across, but then the border was closed. And just in time for winter, 15,000 of those people were stuck at the border just 25 miles from this church. Now, part of what you need to know about these people is that their ancestors were Christian refugees who came from Turkey about 100 years ago. So they had all sorts of family stories about what it meant to be out there desperate, and to be stuck at a border that they couldn't get across. The church made themselves available to God to help. And so they started by taking food to the border. The church treasurer said, we've got enough money for you to do that one time, just one time. And somehow, more money showed up because they went 50 times to the border with food. And they didn't just go with one little potluck dish. I wrote down numbers that I just can't believe. I must have it wrong. I wrote down that they took 5,000 portions of food to the border. I don't even know what that looks like in a kitchen, 5,000 portions. I, don't, I can't even imagine 1,000. But this tiny church with no money somehow managed to do this again and again. Winter was coming. The ladies knitted shawls, they knitted sweaters, they knitted mittens, they knitted whatever they could to keep those people warm. The men, including the very oldest man in the congregation that we were introduced to, went out and chopped firewood and hauled firewood the 25 miles to keep these people warm. They gave them clothes, they gave them shoes. Somehow they got the money for two solar panels so that they could have hot water. And then, the church bought two abandoned houses in town. We saw what it looked like what before when they were, they were abandoned. They were shells of buildings, and the church fixed them up 
so that they could house the most fragile of those refugees, some of the pregnant women, some of the older people. The people are still living there today that they housed in those town, in their town. Their countless, countless refugees have had their prayers answered by this little church who made themselves available to God, who are willing to allow God to call them to do something that they had never done before. Although it turned out that there were too many of us to work hands-on with the refugees. They just couldn't figure out what to do with 42 people at once. We did visit a number of places that were being hospitable to refugees in various ways. Maybe it was as simple as providing lunch or a place for the ladies to sit on a sofa and have tea together while somebody watched their children or a place to wash their clothes or to take a hot shower. When we were in one of those places in Athens, we said, how do refugees know to come here? Like, you don't have a sign outside or anything. He said, they learn to ask for where Jesus' restaurant is. And they find us by that way. That's what we're known as, is Jesus' restaurant. Many conversations ensue there about Jesus. And many people come to faith to know him because of the way that they have seen practical love poured out for them. Uh, one of the places that we visited was actually run by a former refugee who himself had come to know Jesus and was now running one of these shelters for people. Quite a story. A few days into our trip, it turned out we were the ones who needed hospitality. And God surprised us with how he answered our prayers. Uh, Wendy Huntley, one of our worship elders, was on the trip and we, there was a bug going around. I probably have the last phase of it that somebody picked up on the plane, and she'd had the bug, and the bug made her so dehydrated that she needed to be in the hospital. Now, the trouble is, our hotel that night was four hours away. You don't just find a new hotel for 42 people. But we can't leave her, like in the middle of sort of nowhere in Greece, so Wendy and her roommate Cheryl turned out a family in the local church, a couple in the local church said, we will go with them to the hospital. We will sit with them. We will translate for them. In fact, Wendy, Wendy's roommate Cheryl could stay in our house while she's in the hospital. And then when Wendy gets out of the hospital, she can stay in our house. We don't know these people at all, but God, use them because they made themselves available to help us. I really don't know what, how that would have happened without those people. They would have been stranded alone. And eventually transportation was arranged for them to get five hours to us because we had moved on from there. Hospitality from strangers. The scripture raises some interesting questions for, it, for us, doesn't it? Questions for us personally and questions for us as a church as we consider what our future is that God may be calling us to. What if God wanted to stop you or wanted to stop us from doing something the way we've always done it? How would he do that? How would we know that he had a better idea that he wanted us to do? What things that you've always done 
or that we've always done. Might God want us to set aside for a while in order to answer the prayers of somebody who's asking for help? Somebody who's asking for persons who might be available to go there or a place that he might be calling us to. Something different where God is inviting us to join him where he's already at work as the answer to somebody's prayer. It's the sort of thing that interim pastor time is about so that we have space to ask questions like that and to wonder before God, what could there be that you're calling us to that we haven't heard before? What's for the next chapter of our life together? There's a prayer that I learned on the island of Iona from the Christian community there. The island of Iona is on the west end of Scotland, off the west of Scotland. And they pray this prayer at least once a week in the liturgy there. I'd like you to pray it with me as the closing of this sermon. I'll pray it. You just know you're looking for it. It's not there. Sorry. I will pray it. But I'd like, it, I'd like us to use this as our closing prayer. And Lord, if today we might be the means by which you answer the prayer of another. May your spirit find us neither deaf nor defiant, but keen to do your purpose through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Mm -hmm.